I am grateful for the opportunity to uh, bring tonight's word to you. And each time I stand in this pulpit, I am reminded of the time that a pastor was going to be out of town. And he had asked one of the laymen if he would be prayerfully consider, would you stand in the pulpit for me while I'm gone? So the layman made it a matter of prayer and came back to the pastor and said, I'm willing, but I'm a little hesitant. And the pastor said, why are you hesitant? He goes, well, if you knew what manner of man I was, you wouldn't have asked. And the pastor goes, well, that's okay. If you knew what manner of people you were preaching to, you wouldn't have accepted. (laughs) (laughs) But I do feel the pressure of standing here because this isn't a place where we work on our stick, right? This isn't where pet projects are brought forth or a bully pulpit or setting the record straight. This is where the queer preaching of God's word takes place. And so I feel that. I feel the weight. And I I think every male in this church should have opportunity because you take a different approach to God's word when you know you have to stand and present it. And the other thing I feel the weight of is, you know, pastor is the under-shepherd here. God has called him to this pulpit. And and someday he's going to answer for the clowns that he allows to stand in here like Earl. <laughs> so for those reasons, I, I, do take, I do take it very seriously. So I'm excited to hear what the Lord has to say tonight from the scripture that um, Jake read for us. How did I arrive at this scripture? When I was considering the events leading up to Roe versus Wade being considered by the Supreme Court, I was kind of struck that maybe the pro-life movement shouldn't be doing a victory lap. I don't necessarily see the kingdom of darkness conceding ground. So I was very puzzled by this turn of events, and subsequently the Supreme Court did strike down Roe versus Wade and cast it back to the states. But I I did make it a matter of prayer because I wanted to make sense of what was going on. And so the Lord brought me to this scripture. Now, this isn't to talk about abortion. It's not a talk about politics. But I've had a long opportunity to contemplate this scripture because it's been jumbling around in my head for quite some time. I am going to reread this. And when I do... I would like you guys, when you encounter Lot's name, to put your name in instead. So, and then when it uses a personal pronoun, use he or she is respectively. Not your preferred pronoun. <laughs> use the correct. So when I read Genesis 19, 1-11, and, and you see Lot's name, don't read out loud, just read to yourself. Insert your name. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. 
And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore they came under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said, This one came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door, and they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. So the first question I'd like to, in order to, maybe perhaps you've read this story and you've thought to yourself, this is kind of interesting, angels visit, Lot gets kind of weird. God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's as deeply as you've gone into the story. Well, I'd like to slow the story down so that we can climb in and get into the scene of what's going on here. <clears throat> so why were the two angels here? Well, they were doing intelligence gathering. The previous chapter... They were with God himself who arrived to talk to Abraham. I would call it a Christophany. Some theologians call it a theophany. They came to visit Abraham because God was going to tell Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he asked the question, should I withhold from Abraham what I'm about to do? So he spoke to Abraham and said, you know, the wickedness of this city has come up to my, my attention. And I'm here to see if it's true. Now, does God not know what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? No. The entire chapter then was a demonstration of God graciously dealing with Abraham, allowing Abraham to draw out and put on display God's mercy and grace. So Abraham then began to ask, would, you, would not the God of all the universe do right? Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Surely you wouldn't do that. If there's 50, would you spare the city? And so he got all the way down to 10. Now by my count, Abraham was concerned because there were 10 souls in Sodom and Gomorrah that he was concerned about. Lot and his wife 
And if you read carefully, it says his sons. So I'm going to count two. That's more than one. He had two daughters that were married. Their husbands and two daughters who weren't married. So he's saying, God, would you destroy the city for ten? Because I know there's ten people there that I don't want destroyed. And God said, no, for ten. I will not destroy the city. Well, how many left were there? There was Lot, his wife, and his two daughters who didn't make it out. Well, his wife didn't make it out. So these two angels, while Abraham and Lot, Abraham and Jesus, no, Christophany, are talking, these two angels continue on towards Sodom and Gomorrah. They are they're in obedience to the Lord. They're going to find out, is it as bad as we've heard? So they show up, and there's Lot sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now for this story, I want us to consider how in the world did Lot arrive in Sodom and Gomorrah? A lot of times when we ask the question of ourselves, how did I get here? By the time we ask that question, we're in a lot deeper than we should be, and we've been there a lot longer than we should be. So I think it's important for this story to figure out how did Lot get here to Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, if you understand, way back in Ur of the Chaldees, Lot's father died. Abraham took Lot into his house. Lot's dad moved the family from Ur of Chaldees to Haran. At that point, God spoke to Abraham. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 11. Just remember, we're trying to figure out how did Lot get into Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapter 11, verse 31 and 32. And Terah, who's Abraham, Abram's father, took Abram his son and Lot, Abram's nephew, and Sarai, his wife, and his daughter-in-law, and son, Abram's wife, and they went forth from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And these, <clears throat> Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So now they're in Haran. Lot has been raising, Abram has been raising Lot since he was in Ur of Chaldees. So God now says to Abram, who's living in Haran, verse 1 of chapter 12, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Lot was raised in a house where God's word was clearly heard and clearly obeyed. He grew up in a house that was godly. Let's fast forward to chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Now, just keep in mind, we're trying to figure out how did Lot 
get in Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapter 13, starting in verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. I just want to pause there for a second because Abram is benefiting from the promises made to Abram. Lot is benefiting. He's realizing already the promise that God made to Abram. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Verse 6. But the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt there in the land. Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we're brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If the left hand, then I will go to the right. If to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes. And I just want to pause right there. I tried to put myself in Lot's shoes here at this point. You know, get into what he was thinking. Lot was rich in cattle and sheep. Abram gave him first right of refusal. Now, put yourselves in Lot's shoes. Did he make a good business decision? Absolutely, he made a good business decision. Did he make a sinful decision? I don't see that he did. I don't see that he did. I don't know that I would do anything differently. My default setting in this shell is to say, yeah, I'm going to the east. I'm going where there's lots of water and lots of pasture. That only makes sense. What would have been better? This is what I ask myself, and this is one of our points of application. What would have been better at that point? Abram, you've raised me since the Ur of Chaldees. I have what I have because I've been blessed by living with you under the promises that God made to you. God's clearly spoken to you. He's clearly blessed you. What do you think I should do? What would be better? Sometimes the good business decision or sometimes the okay decision isn't necessarily the godly decision. So we can see at this point, now scripture doesn't record it, and it's an argument from silence, but I don't see that Lot made it a matter of prayer. How, how would our life be different if we just paused for a minute, and, and we don't 
need to get into great prayer, I'd like to turn to Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. So turn to Nehemiah, chapter 2, starting verse 1. Nehemiah, chapter 2, starting verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth in waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed. He didn't have the opportunity to say to King Artaxerxes, Give me a week. I need to make it a matter of prayer. I'll get back to you with an answer. Go back to Lot. Lot, which way do you want to go? Abraham could have said, Lot, you've been riding my coattails since Ur of Chaldees. You're a big boy now. Skedaddle. Go make your own way. If you want a picture of meekness right here, this is it. Abraham is holding all the cards. He's holding all the promises. God has blessed him with everything. And what does he do? He says, what? First choice. Now, when Abraham died, how much of the property did he actually own? No. How much did Abraham actually own? Does anybody know? Just the place where he buried his wife. That's it. Anyway, I digress a little bit. So the point of that particular, how to, how to get there, if we have to look back, God is always giving us opportunity. If you're paying attention, God is always providing a way out. Our natural impulse, yes, I will go east, I will take the... I will take the well-watered, well-pastured land. Woohoo! Well, and behold, we find ourselves in Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. So sat with, Lot was sitting in the gate. What does that mean to be sitting in the gate? Can I get some feedback? Yes, Earl. He's like an elder of the Sure, he's an official. What happens at the gate? Business talk. Oh, court cases are settled. Property is traded hands. People provide witness. He is now an official. He now holds a place of authority in Sodom and Gomorrah. So these two angels show up, and he says to them in verse 2, Behold, now my lords, turn in, I pray you, your servant's house, and tarry all night, wash your feet, you should rise up early, go on your ways. And they said, No, but we're going to stay in the street. Now the custom in the Near East, as you're well aware, is when there are visitors, it was a privilege and a responsibility to take those visitors into your house and provide everything for them. Water, food, protection. As long as they stayed, you put them up in your house and it was a privilege to do so and you took care of all their needs. Verse four. I've titled this section, The Mob Arrives. Before these men had even turned down for the night, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, 
compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. I want us to notice old and young. Are we not living in that same time now? You see, in the kingdom of darkness, there is nothing taboo. There is no line that can't be crossed. There's nothing sacred. Sin is only satisfied when everything is corrupted. Nothing is off limits. So we see here that, look at the superlatives. All men from every quarter compassed round. I don't think this is overstating what's going on. Pick a sin of your choice and put it in your head. When you've done that sin for the 5,000th time, do you finally feel fulfilled? How about the 10,000th time? Sin cannot deliver. I don't think you could go two minutes out the front door of Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you wanted to find somewhere or someone to indulge your sin, you wouldn't have to go any more than two minutes. But what house did this crowd come to? They could have gone anywhere in those two towns and had their way with anybody, young or old. That's the nature of sin. It's not satisfied till everything is corrupted. I'd like to read Genesis 4-7, but I want to read the New American Standard Version because I like it better, just in this particular verse. God is talking to Cain. and He says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Ladies and gentlemen, the mob of sin is at the front door. Now, individually, when sin crouches at our door, we must master it. Its desire is for us, but we must master it. I think that verse is what Peter had in mind when he wrote in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. That's the nature of sin. It's not satisfied until it's at your door. Verses 6 through 8. Lot engages the mob at the door. Now this was amusing to me until I took the opportunity to put my name where Lot's was because I thought, Lot, you're a knucklehead. What is Lot doing here with this mob? Tell me what he's doing. Bargaining. Good. He's negotiating with sin. Look at the language he's using. Brethren. That term denotes an affinity. I pray you. He's beseeching the mob. He's beseeching sin. 
Look at the terms he's offering in the negotiation. Put yourself in Lot's shoes. Ladies, you're at the scene. Put yourselves in the two daughters' shoes, please. The mob, you're about to turn into bed, pulling the covers back, and you hear this insanely crazy crowd outside, banging on the door. You hear the door open. You hear your dad start to talk. Brethren, I pray you. So far, so good. Don't do this thing. I have two daughters. Give me some feedback, ladies. How would you feel? Not happening. Who is that man and what happened to my dad? <laughs> I, I only laugh because... Sin does not play by rules. Sin does not reach a consensus or build bridges. Sin has no moral compass. Sin cannot be reasoned with. There's only one entity in this world that reasons with sinners, and that's our, our Heavenly Father. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We have no, negoti- we have no business trying to negotiate with sin. <clears throat> what does Lot look like at this point? He's nearly unrecognizable. Let me ask ourselves this. When we negotiate with sin, do we look any differently? You know, I thought Lot was a darn fool until I realized that, how do you think you look when you want to turn yourself into a pretzel to justify whatever sin you're about to engage in? You look as silly, Derek. So before I throw a lot to the wolves, <laughs> lot is us when we negotiate with sin. Verse 9. The mob says, you know what, lot? You're right. We were about to go too far. We'll turn around and go home. No. <laughs> the nature of sin, you don't throw your pearls before swine. The mob turned on Lot. No surprise. Can you hear the vitriol? Can you feel the mob pressing? Get out of the way, scum. Get out of the way, stranger. That's what they call him, a sojourner. You're not from here. You're not one of us. You're not our morality police. We're going to deal worse with you than we will with them. We are 
when we name the name of Christ, we are strangers here. We are no longer of this world. We are sojourners, and our citizenship is now in heaven. These guys pressed sore with exceeding force and might. Now verse 11, the angels come to the rescue. And they pull Lot back in the house. And they strike these people with blindness. I think it's pretty telling. I tried to put myself in the, in the shoes of the mob when I am bent on having my way, on gratifying my sin, would I be put off by being blind, blinded? Did it strike any of these guys that there's a problem here? Judgment has just been made, but they wearied themselves to find the door. That's the nature of sin. It's not easily put off. By way of conclusion, by way of application, let's turn to 1 Peter 2.11. 1 Peter 2.11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. I've already said it, but we are strangers and sojourners here. This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We do have a shell that still has perverted desires, and we must mortify that. But Scripture tells us we have been given, God has given us everything we need to live godly and righteous lives. But Peter here is saying, abstain from fleshly lusts, because you're not from here. We're just passing through. Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter. Chapter 2, starting at verse 4. Second Peter 2, starting at verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast down to hell and delivered in the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth, preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. 
We are righteous only because the righteousness of Christ has been applied to our lives. And God will preserve us and rescue us out of this. But should the Lord tarry, there is very good chance. The mob, and I'm not bothered that it's a homosexual mob, put the fill in the blank before mob, the woke mob, the intersectional mob, whatever mob you want to put it, there's a good chance that they will be at our door. Now, I don't suggest that we turn this into a fortress, but I do suggest the time is now to decide, are we going to stand with the truth and not negotiate what terms of good are, like Lot, do as seems good to you with my daughters. We don't have the liberty as a body to negotiate God's truth. So the time is now to make those decisions. I'm going to close in prayer, and then do we have a closing song? All right, I'll, I'll close in prayer. I'm so thankful, dear Father, that you know, how to, you know how to preserve the righteous from judgment. You have already judged our sins at the cross. We are in the world, but not of the world, and this world, as it gets increasingly darker, vexes our souls with its filthy conversation. Individually, Lord, please help us. Sin crouches at our door, but, and we've been given everything we need to live godly and righteous lives. Help us to overcome sin. You always provide a way through it. And as a body, Lord, this place here is an embassy. We are ambassadors. Ambassadors cannot quibble with the word that they have been given. Help us to be faithful to your word. Thank you, dear Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.